Turn your attention to the Gospel of John in the 20th chapter this morning. I know your hearts have been tremendously encouraged in song. And now our hearts can be encouraged in word. John chapter 20. This is actually a parallel passage to the passage that we began the service with this morning in the book of Matthew. I'd like to speak to you this morning as we conclude our service on the consolation of our resurrected Savior, the love, comfort, and consolation of our resurrected Savior. It's a love and consolation and comfort that no other person on earth could ever offer. You know, in the first century, there were other people who were self-proclaimed messiahs. They had names, they had birth dates, and they too breathed their last on earth. The followings that they had garnered discontinued after their death because those self-proclaimed saviors had no resurrection. There's a lot of proofs that Jesus is alive, that Jesus rose from the dead. And may I say this morning that you all who are in Christ are living proof that our Messiah lives. You are living proof as the recipients of this divine comfort and consolation of our resurrected Savior as you live that love. So this morning I'd like to consider this passage from the Gospel of John together. Many believe when Jesus walked the earth that the disciple named John was the youngest, if not among the youngest, of his disciples. Some historians also believe that he was a relative of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus says to John during his last moments on the cross... And then he speaks to his own mother. And he says, Mary, behold your son. And John, behold your mother. This would have made more sense if John was truly a relative, in addition to being the disciple that Jesus loved. And he's referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved, even in our own passage today. Though he may have been among the youngest during Christ's ministry on earth, he lived to be one of, if not the oldest disciple that Christ ever had. He was the last writer of scripture some 60 years after Christ's ascension to heaven and after his obvious resurrection. John writes the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bibles, about A.D. 95. So some believe he's the last writer of scripture He writes also this gospel of John in three small letters at the end of the New Testament. But nonetheless, it seems he writes his gospel with some sage wisdom. As an older saint, he writes with a simple, loving perspective that is quite easy to understand. We certainly see this in his account of the resurrection morning in chapter 20. As an older saint, 
He's particular in his 50,000 foot view with maturity of that wonderful morning, of that sunrise experience at the foot of Jesus' empty tomb. Other gospel writers have the characters of this particular setting mentioned, the activity of those characters also mentioned, as we read in the book of Matthew this morning. But I'd like to focus our attention on one particular character that the Apostle John singles out among the handful that were there on that resurrection morning. Her name was Mary Magdalene. Her last name identifies, the second part of her name identifies where she's from. She's really Mary of Magdal. Magdal was a very affluent community within Galilee. This Resurrection Sunday sermon is about the consoling love of our resurrected Savior expressed towards this particular woman in a very, very helpful and spiritual, consoling way. The way in which our Lord resurrected now expresses his love towards her is is equally simple as it is profound. The first aspect of Christ's resurrected consolation and love is the reality that Jesus' love is a saving love. Go with me back to the book of Luke real quickly. The book of Luke, and look with me at the eighth chapter. Early on in Christ's public ministry, we find that his ministry was inclusive of women. Women were essential to the progress of the gospel in Christ's earthly ministry. He says in verse 1, soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their own income or out of their private means. Go back with me to John chapter 20. It's very clear that Jesus had done something very profound in the life of this lady. When he had first met her, apparently she had been indwelt by demons. Seven of them. Allow me to share something of demon possession at this time. Those possessed by demons would have been the village, town, or city outcasts. The population where Mary would have lived would have had no need for her. Her family would have expunged her from the home and declared her useless to society. Yet the passage tells us in Luke that she and most likely some other women following Jesus had been healed by Christ of those evil spirits. Apparently they had been restored 
not just to God in Christ, but they were also placed as useful citizens in their town. But Luke reminds us that these women, inclusive of Mary of Magdal, were contributing to the support of the ministry of the gospel. In other words, Mary, once an outcast, now forgiven, healed, and restored to Christ, is also restored to her affluent town in Magdal, and possibly her family's wealth, and if not, at least to a position where she can work her skill, make a living, and still have means to give to Jesus and his band of disciples for the purpose of the spread of the kingdom and the message, the gospel of the kingdom in that time. An English preacher once said that when Jesus saves, he saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. That's what Jesus had done for this dear woman. We find sometime later coming to the tomb of Jesus before dawn on the first day of the week. There's other realities of Mary Magdalene's life we could share this morning, but just these two regarding her spiritual change in Jesus will suffice. She's gone from an outcast of an affluent town and family to a supporter and ally of Christ's ministry on earth, all the way to be one of the first women to visit his tomb on resurrection morning. You see, it was tradition for these ladies closest to the deceased to first visit the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with spices and oils. Mary had come to the point in her life where she ministered among the ladies in Jesus' ministry to the point she could be identified even with Jesus' own mother, Mary, visiting her son's tomb on resurrection morning. You know, friends, I want Mary of Magdal's story to remind everyone here this morning that there is no sin or situation in which you find yourself in life that Jesus of Nazareth cannot save you from. You may find yourself an outcast of your family, your friends, because of some sinful decisions you've made in your life that have hurt you and your relationship with those who are closest to you. Those decisions may have affected your ability to work and provide for yourself and your family. You may be feeling this morning that you're an outcast among those that you want to be closest with. Our resurrected Jesus wants you to know this morning that he can forgive you. He can cleanse you from any sinful reality or consequence of that sin in your life. He alone, as resurrected Lord, has the power to fully forgive and restore your relationship to God. And in time, even special people in your life. Mary Magdalene stands before us this morning as a testimony that is never too late to be forgiven by Jesus for all the wrong that has separated you from God and others in your life. Are you an outcast like Mary of Magdal? Well, in Jesus alone, you can find forgiveness and even spiritual family. In Jesus alone, you can find spiritual and practical purpose once again. So would you come to him this Easter Sunday morning and be made whole? Jesus' love is a saving love. 
Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You may seek the forgiveness of those you can see on earth and maybe even in the auditorium. And even the offer of forgiveness they would extend to you is temporary. Because they themselves are sinners that have been forgiven. And they're called to forgive. There's only one who can forgive you with a forever kind of forgiveness. And that's the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning... You've heard plenty about him and his power to save already as you've heard of his power over death, which is the final consequence of all of our sin. So he can save you. He can forgive you. I hope you won't leave here today rejecting that love of forgiveness again. Jesus' love is not only a saving love, it's a settling love. You see, friends, we must understand that even though the prophecy of Christ's resurrection had been known for some time, even though Jesus spake of his own resurrection from the dead to those closest to him on more than one occasion, they could not grasp the reality of Jesus, their relative and their friend and their rabbi, rising from the dead. I don't believe Jesus' closest followers rejected the idea of resurrection. Even John, our author, records the story of Jesus raising his best friend Lazarus from the grave in chapter 11. Even at that moment, John records Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There remain other facts that would support that Jesus' followers had no issues with the idea of resurrection, even his resurrection, but they still didn't understand resurrection on this particular Sunday, not even the resurrection of their own Savior. When we find Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb before sunrise in the first day of the week, she comes with these spices and oils on her person. She fully expects to find a body to anoint. This is her sacred duty and her honor. This Jesus whom she had saved, who had been saved from seven demons, this Jesus whose ministry she had supported, this Jesus whose family she had come to deeply love. She rises up before the sun and journeys to a tomb she fully expects to pay her final respects to the memory of a person whose body would be there. Well, it would be good for us to review the other gospels accounts of this morning as we've kind of already done. Again, I find it very interesting that the Apostle John gives this tender attention to just one of the women present for God's own spiritual purpose. Consider with me, if you would, this morning, the amount of times we find weeping mentioned in this small narrative. If you look at John chapter 20 and verse 11, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked inside the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She certainly said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Jesus' love is a, is a settling love. A handful of times it's mentioned here that, that Mary is in absolute agony. She was still mourning Jesus' death. She arrives only to find that she cannot fulfill her duty with these spices and the oils. The body's gone. Her deep mourning worsens into a guttural agony she's never experienced before in her life. If you study this word weeping as how it's used in this time, it's in reference to someone who's sobbing uncontrollably that does not even have their wits about them. She looks into the tomb and sees two men, one at the foot of where Jesus would have been laid and one at his head. Earlier in the passage, it mentions that two of Jesus' disciples had seen the headband and the clothes that Jesus had been entombed wearing were neatly folded as if something planned had happened. Mary Magdalene would have seen the same, but she sees these two men as well. The men are described as being dressed in white. God in his gracious patience attempts to alleviate Mary's pain by allowing her to realize who these men were in their regal, divine Sunday best. Which only demonstrates the purity and righteousness and mercy of her Jesus. But her eyes are so clouded with tears and her heart with agony, she doesn't recognize who these men are. Instead, the angels, instead of the angels being frustrated that their presence and appearance don't solace Mary's heart, they say, woman, why are you weeping? Now to us, if we call our wives or any lady in our, <laughs> in our existence for that matter, woman, in a time when they're in agony, I don't think it would make that agony any better for them. 
But for Mary to be addressed as woman in this culture would have been an expression of deep respect and honor. In her agony, the angels were calling her what Jesus would have called her in order to settle her heart and to let her know that things were going to be okay. And then to ask, why are you weeping? Or why are you hurting so? Would have been a very clear, compassionate, purposeful question as well. At this time, if you're asked, why are you weeping? You're asked because there really is no reason to weep. You see, in this culture, if you're in agony and crying for good reason, you just agonize and cry. It's okay. Mourning is a gift from God. It's a gift of his mercy. If you hurt, just cry. If someone special to you has died, cry. Jesus did when Lazarus died. But to be addressed with respect as woman and to be asked, why are you weeping? As if the angels were saying, Mary, did you not notice our Sunday best? Mary, did you not notice the name of integrity we've used that's familiar to you? And now Mary, there's no reason to cry. And then Mary is allowed to explain what she does not yet understand to be true. In verse 13, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him, she's come looking for a body, not a person. She's still looking. And in her unbelief, she's still treated with grace from God's ambassadors. After Mary speaks to the angels, she hears some rustling of feet behind her. She notices the eyes of the two angels glance over her shoulder as if they're seeing someone else in the tomb. Mary turns around, verse 14, and sees someone she doesn't recognize. Don't be too hard on her. She's inside the tomb. She still has some tears clouding her eyes. The tomb's probably dimly lit. The glow of the sunrise shines gloriously behind this person, causing the person now in the tomb with her and the angels to merely look like a silhouette. John tells us in verse 15 that this person is Jesus. Jesus speaks with some familiar words the angels had just used. Woman, why are you weeping? So once again, addressed with respect and respected for her agony, Mary is given the opportunity to explain herself again. And so she does in verse 15. She suspects this silhouette to be Joseph of Arimathea's hired hand to keep his garden and his garden tomb. And she says, sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll go take him to fulfill my sacred obligation. Woman, Jesus says, there's no reason for weeping. 
like the angels patiently stated, now Jesus does too. This truly is not a time for mourning, but the exact opposite. It's a time for rejoicing. And Mary of Magdal still doesn't get it. So Jesus does something else. He speaks her personal name. Not just a title of reverence and honor, Jesus just simply states Miriam. If you look at the original text of this passage, Jesus doesn't say Mary Magdalene. He states her proper name, which was Miriam. Ever since her conversion, when the seven demons are cast out of her, He's called her by her proper name. She recognizes Jesus' voice when he calls her by what she's used to him calling her. This morning, we're walking through together the consolation of our resurrected Savior. The greatest consolation we can receive, the greatest comfort we can know from his is truly salvation. He speaks your name. A very familiar name to him. A name he's been familiar with from eternity past. And a name that's very familiar with him because you're one of his adopted children. Sealed into the day of redemption. It's never too late to be comforted and consoled by Jesus. I'm so thankful the way Pastor Mike prayed a few minutes ago. This isn't in my sermon, so I'm just going to look up and have an aside here. The last two years, all of us have experienced a very close friend or relative dying an agonizing death. I don't think I've seen more death in my life in the last two years that I've seen all my life. When that happens to you, it changes you. Lord, another one? Lord, another? Lord, not him! Lord, not her! Another? Another? Lord, I can't be with... The hospital won't let me... What? They're passing into eternity. I can't even hold their hand. If anyone in this room says they didn't struggle because of the consequence of death in the last two years, I'd really struggle to know if you're really telling the truth. Mary's in the intense struggle of having lost who she calls a handful of times in the text her Lord. And though she struggles, though she crumbles, though she's cracking, her immutable loving Savior does what? Woman, 
Let's not weep. I'm alive. Here I am. It's done. Stand up. My love I declared for you the moment you were saved from those seven ugly, seven ugly creatures is still the same today. And it will forever be the same. Stand up. Let's go. But let's go together. And this saving, settling love is finally this morning a sanctifying love. It's a love that teaches. Isn't that wonderful that God's love gives us an opportunity to stand up and learn again after we've crumbled a little bit during times of unbelief? Mary of Magdal, having turned away from the, to the side from the silhouette of a man she thought to be the gardener, she turns back, not weeping, but rejoicing after she hears Miriam. And she knows that's her Savior's tongue speaking her proper name. And she shouts from the tomb, Rabboni! And folks, this wasn't the typical name for a rabbi that you have written in your Bible, which simply means teacher. This was an expression of recognition for who Jesus really was. He was teacher God. Mary knows why. She knows now why she is asked to stop weeping and have those tears of agony turn immediately to tears of joy. Jesus was alive. Oh, what she had learned in this moment of patient love. Oh, the Old Testament passages that would have been flooding her soul of the prophecies of Jesus' resurrection. The immediate recollection comes to her mind of Jesus' own prophecy of his own resurrection, of which now she's an eyewitness. Rejoice, he lives. The text says she lunges at him, falls at his feet, and clings to his lower legs in worship as if she'll never let go. And what Jesus says to her in verse 17 is so sweet. It's so tender. It sounds really lofty and theological, but can I tell you what Jesus is really saying here? It's good to see you too, Mary. Now, you're going to have to let go of my legs because I have many more people to see before I ascend to my father. It's just going on. It's all good. It's okay. How patient he is. As teacher God. He doesn't scold her for saying, well, if you would have really paid attention to the Old Testament in class and you would have studied for the quiz on resurrections, you would have passed it and understood that you wouldn't have to weep so. <laughs> Shame on you, Miriam. Let's grow up. I'm here. I'm good. Jesus never loves like that Amen. when his owner in agony. Never loves like that. You shouldn't either. 
Mary leaves announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Rabboni had taught her once again how to love. He had allowed what she had been taught years previous to rush back to her mind, and they did because he loved. Mary of Magdal certainly has arisen out of her sorrow. And this is no more about her sorrow and grief, and it's all about her risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She's learned so much from the love of Jesus and his ambassadors. We know this of love from the message. This morning, in the words of Jesus, our resurrected Lord, I wrote these down of a favorite author of mine. He said this, and please listen to me, all of you, especially those that have been saved for years and years and years, especially those who teach God's word. It is important, I quote, it is important to remember that Jesus said that others will know we are Christians, not by the degree of our theological correctitude, but by our love for one another. Can you see this truth rising from the text? Look at what the angels and Jesus could have done with Mary of Magdal. But no, heaven comprised of angels and the Logos himself in human flesh, the word, just love. Because they had decided to love in eternity past. And Miriam will be loved until the end of the age. Because she saw Jesus. And his offer of forgiveness and her desperate need to believe in who he was and to beg him to be forgiven. And she was. You see, friends, there's much she learned from the love of our resurrected Lord. And she has much to share from what she's learned of his love. And that's just what love that teaches does. After it saves, it settles, it establishes back on our feet. It loves us patiently back to the understanding of truth and even gives us an opportunity to once again go share that truth even after we feel we've been broken again. That's what the love of my resurrected, your resurrected Savior does. Always progressing us in growth. Always encouraging us through his word. And then the opportunity to encourage one another through it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do love you. We thank you for this tender scene. On this first Lord's Day morning, resurrection morning we thank you for the wise old sage John who singles out Mary of Magdal and rehearses for us his tender personal human but infinite love expressed towards her and Lord we have known that love if we know the savior of this consolation so Lord, 
Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your patience with us in our time of agony. Thank you for allowing us to crumble a little bit and some unbelief and some doubt. Thank you for loving us so consistently, so immutably, and setting us back on our feet to rejoice, to learn, and to share of our great Jesus. As your eyes are closed this morning, I beg you, if you're struggling as a believer, to turn and recognize the voice of Jesus. It's a powerful voice. He spoke the world into existence by the power of his word. He saved you by the power of his word. He certainly can mend you and stand you on your feet, cause you to learn, to grow, and to share of him again. Maybe you've never heard his saving call to you. Or maybe you've heard it many times and you've yet to surrender your heart to King Jesus as Lord of your life. My friends, this is no mere man. He's God who's conquered the effects of sin, which is death. And he offers you life eternal, peace in your soul, comfort in your heart, restoration to purpose in life in eternity please look to him and know him and be saved by him the best person to you to talk to about that is him the second best person for you to talk to about is the person that brought you this morning that you know knows him Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is burden. My yoke is, and my burden are light. And if you do this, you'll find rest for your soul. No other person in all the world can offer you rest for your soul but Jesus. Because your soul unrest is caused by sin and that which he died for and was buried for and rose again to conquer. It's covered. It's covered. God would have you know the saving, settling, sanctifying love and resurrected Jesus. And I hope you will today. Father, we thank you again. The simple message from your word. May your spirit do with it as he will. Omnipotently so in each heart today. In Christ's name.